Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton here, Director of Women Emerging and and also a podcast host. I've decided I can call myself a podcast host now, now that we've done 50. This is the 50th podcast episode. The expedition came to an end last week in Bellagio. And last week, I asked Sarah and Anna to try and give you a sense of what had happened over these sort of miraculous four days that we all spent together in an extraordinary place. This week, I want to do one more episode that sort of completes this transition because the first 50 episodes were very much about following the expedition, following the 24 women who were going out into the world to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. And I think we're now transitioning to the next phase where the next 50 episodes will be about what we learnt and what we know and what we can see in this approach to leadership that resonates with women and to sort of to dig a well, a well, W-E-L-L, in the middle of our village and our town or our city or whatever, wherever we are, a well that we as women leaders can meet around, a well that we can draw from, that we can replenish at and, and also contribute to adding our stories and our insights about leadership. So in this transition from the first 50 episodes, no doubt to the second 50 episodes, I just wanted to... So these two episodes, last week and this week, are about that transition. And and this, this week's is sort of... Why did we feel in Bellagio that we were doing something really very, very important? And the best way to illustrate the answer of that is to talk to Falawi and talk to Falawi about her own journey as a leader and find out why she thinks that that journey would have been easier, better, more satisfying, less cluttered if there had been a well available from which to draw from. Falawi as we went through the four days in Bellagio, it became clearer and clearer and clearer, I think, to all of us that this was important and that though there was beautiful things going on between all of us and building of a group, there was also a serious piece of work going on, which was to produce an approach to leadership that resonates with women. And that was immensely motivating. Um, I think we can sort of nearly see it, but I, I thought it would be really interesting if we, if, if you would allow me, Falawi, to talk through, to illustrate why we think this approach is so important 
with mm. you. If you mm. if you talked us through the story, the journey of your leadership, and mm. and at what points would it have been helpful to have mm. an approach to leadership that resonates with women? I think it would help a lot. Julia, you know, I, I, you know, I think it's important to mention one something I said to someone when I left Bellagio, um, you know, with all the women a few a few days ago, and I remember saying, if I had had an experience like this, or if I'd had, you know, this sort of insight into my own leadership, or when I was about to start, you know, whatever you know, leadership, you know, is. I would have been, I would have been less afraid. I would have been more confident. I would have been more authentic, you know. And when I reflect on my leadership journey, I think as far back as my school days, and I think about when I was in secondary school, when I would literally run away from any leadership position. So talk about being a school prefect, and we had prefects, you know, that would cut across like different areas. Talk about being like the class captain and those sort of like positions. Like I just had no interest whatsoever. And it wasn't that, you know, now that I think about it and that, you know, I reflect on it, it wasn't that I would have been a bad leader or, or, you know, or not being able to do it, but it just didn't feel like me. It didn't feel like me, Julia, because a lot of the examples of leadership that I'd seen just didn't look like what I could, you know, how I could show up. Or what I could do. So it didn't match my personality, the examples of the people that I saw in those positions and how they showed, showed up just didn't look like me at all. Where was so this was So this was across my school in Benin Republic. So I went to um, primary and secondary school. I started off in Nigeria, in Ogun State, and then relocated during the military regime to Benin Republic, where I then went to um, an an international school of of Benin. And and, and it was after that that I came to Nigeria and then went to an only girls school. Um, and completed my secondary education in that school, uh, Vivian Fowler Memorial College for Girls in Lagos State. Throughout, you know, um, the, my 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 journey of going to school, I had several opportunities to have, you know, taken leadership positions, but I just refused to. I would literally hide. I remember, you know, a particular day where, you know, manifestos were being shared, people were campaigning, and you know, and trying. I will, I literally will hide in the back of the school so that nobody would, you know, point me or even suggest me for any position. Cause typically they would sort of like position high flying students, above average students, you know, to consider those like um, leadership positions. But so I didn't even want any teacher or any of my seniors to sort of suggest me or to nominate me for anything. So I will run away. But even when I went on to university, Julia, I still had no interest whatsoever. There were lots of like positions where I could have been like a student leader, where I could have been in charge of my hostel and my hall, where I could have done more in my departments and faculty. And, you know, there were all of those different um, opportunities, Julia, but I still shied away from it. I still just wasn't interested. It just didn't feel like me. When I think about even till date, when people sort of like this, you know, talk about leadership or when people describe me as a leader, 
don't think I've ever described myself as a leader. Like I won't open my mouth and say, you know, oh, I'm a leader and this is what I, you know, this is what I, I'm doing or this is how I've been a leader. I think I'm, I'm just, I'm simply a woman and I'm a human being that is happiest and that feels most fulfilled when I leave places and situations and things better than I found it. I just want to play a role where, I leave the world better than I than I found it and that I left it. So I sort of say that I'm an accidental leader, just given the journey that I've had. You know, there's people who've said to me over the years that you can't make yourself a leader. You can't claim yourself to be a leader, but that you do have to accept it when all the people around you tell you that you are a leader. I, and I well, suspect I they do around you. Yes. Yes, Julia. And I just accept it when they say that, you know, but just, just doing this thing that, you know, just makes me happy and makes me feel alive and makes me, you know, just fulfilled, makes me feel satisfied being in this world. And that's what I'm just doing, you know, so I take it, I accept it. And I'm learning to, you know, to accept when because I, I would struggle before now, but, you know, I accept it when I'm described as a leader, but I just wouldn't, it's not the first word that would come to my mind when I have to describe myself, you know, um, but I'd say, well, I, I, I stepped into leadership accidentally. When I think about it, it sort of was thrust into, into leadership. Um, I started off my career working in a school. My employer said to me then was, I'm tired of having people who come here and tell us this is how it's done in this school and in that school. You know, we just want your freshness and we want your fresh mind. And I thought my fresh mind has got nothing there that 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 is about running a school and managing a school. And so I'd say was the sort of like, you know, when I think about this and, you know, just having the conversation, that's, that's one of the experiences that I remember very vividly. And I was scared, Julia. You know, I was scared of failing. I was scared, you know, of being figured out that, you know, this woman actually, you know, doesn't, I mean, this lady, because I was, I was, you know, Is in my fraud. early 20s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone who like, spots you as a fraud. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, so it was like, can they tell that I don't know anything that I'm talking about? <laughs> and that, you know, so it was, it was really, it was really tough way. It's almost like someone who was, like thrown in the water, you know, deep end, drowning, but you're, you can't swim, but you're just like, and I can't swim, Julia, you know, but, you know, it's just like you're flapping your hands and just trying to find your way. And that was how, you know, that experience um, felt like. The second organization that I went on to after that first experience, really the reason why I went on there was because of their vision. And their vision said, one day all children in Nigeria will have access to qualitative education. And I wouldn't forget that. I didn't even read the job description or anything like that. Again, that was another exposure into leadership where I had to deal with a number of experienced women who were on who were who were on the board, you know, at, at the school when I was a school administrator, really it was just the parents. It was much easier to like build relationships with them. Of course, there were some difficult ones. But then in this one, there were, you know, there were board members, 
founding members, you know, who had ideas on how they started, you know, the association that I was working with. They were, you know, they had their ego, you know, that needed to be stroked. You know, we, they, they had needs and they had motivations so being part of the association that I needed to learn. I had no idea. Um, again, what it was that I was doing. I struggled. I remember there was one time, you know, where I just cried and there was no one to sort of like vent to or talk to about, like I'll vent to, to my mother about it and I'll talk to my, to my aunties about it. You know, I just didn't feel comfortable enough to share because I thought it would look like it would um, reflect on me. It's been a bad leader if I talked about it to like other colleagues or other people. So I sort of like just kept it to myself. This is like some of the like the clear ideas that I have in terms of the early days of my leadership. But having a blindfold on, and that's the way that I can describe it, having a blindfold on, because I and, and I think about like the blindfold games that one had to play when we're growing up. And whilst you're like trying to navigate the room to like catch, you know, the treasures or whether the people that you need to pick and, and sort of hit while you're doing that, you sometimes you get somebody who is like telling you where to go and what direction while you have the blindfold on. But I think about the journey that I've been through, Julia, where I've had the blindfold on and then I didn't have anyone to sort of like give me some type of like navigating tool or tell me like, you know, what sort of like guidelines and like direction. And so in many ways, in different aspects of my leadership, I struggled. I literally just like had to learn on the job through the experiences, through like some really difficult experiences, you know, I, I had to learn and I had to just figure out, you know, things as I went on. I think that blindfold thing is fascinating. If this is what I'm hearing is that the, while you're at school, you said, I'm not a leader all the way through education. I'm not a leader for whatever reasons you didn't. And, and I, and I suspect you would say to the your young self now, say, yes, I'll do leadership. Get, get into the habit of doing it. Learn the lessons early and young. Yes. And, and I, yes. I deeply believe that, you know, if you mess up when you're very young, yes. you yes. forgive yourself much more quickly than when you yes. mess up later on. But anyhow, so yes. I think you would say, yes. learn to be a leader right yeah. From the moment you can and, and keep keep going. Then you Absolutely. went into work and you 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 went into leadership because you believed yes. in the purpose, but you hadn't really yes. thought through what leadership meant. Yes, exactly. And, and how to be a leader, but more importantly, to be your kind of leader. Exactly. So if you have to learn all of this. Yeah. Yeah. When the stakes are high and you're in a big job and everybody yes. is watching you and the mistakes that you make, you won't suffer from really, but the people who work for you will suffer from them. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Then, oh. then learning them then, then you have some really miserable moments because you mess oh, up. Yes. And that oh, blindfold yes. analogy is so powerful. It's it's a it's a most beautiful analogy. So that's why you think it's so important to have an approach to leadership that resonates with women, because that then draws women into leadership. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Am I right? Oh yes, 
Julia, Julia, like when I think about this, like, and I think about what, you know, the, the Women Emerging Expedition is working on and trying to do, like I said to you, some days after the, um, the expedition at Bellagio, you know, I was, I was debriefing and sort of like reflecting with a friend. And I said, how much so if I'd had just even a stint of this insight this sort of like ideas and thoughts about how to approach leadership or, you know, what leadership looks like or what leadership even is. I, I thought my life would have been much easier. You know, I, 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 and I, and I mean, when I say much easier, of course, like I definitely think that the challenges have expanded me and grown me, but I feel like, you know, I could have also channeled that growth and whatever into some other areas. Like there were things that I didn't need to experience if I had just understood, you know, an approach to leadership, if I'd understood, not in the way, like, of course, I Googled resources, Julia, like whenever things happen, like I'll Google things to sort of say, how do you deal with this? Or how do you do, do deal with that? How do you show up as a leader? And, you know, they would tell you like ABC and, and, and XYZ and still to the same experience that I had many years ago when I was a teenage girl, you know, who was just in school it still just didn't feel like me. It felt like I had to, you know, like play a role or not, not play, like act, be, be an actor or an actress. It just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel organic. The thing with an approach to leadership is you don't have to be anybody else. Like that's what it says. It's just saying, just be the human being that you are. Who wants to, who is, you know, connected to your sense, the core, whatever it is that is driving you, that is pushing you. But look at all these different, like, you know, like elements or these different pillars, as I might want to call them, that can, that you can tap into that already exist within you and around you to navigate your way, to guide you through leadership. When I think about that, um, um, Julia, like for me, that would have made my life easier. And I think about many other women. I'm one of maybe 100 people who accidentally stumbled into leadership and sort of stayed on and persevered for whatever reason and for whatsoever reason. But Julia, there are many women who have thought, okay, yeah, let me get into it. And similar to the way that I got into it, but they got into it, started to just like, again, with the blindfold on, they're trying to find their way. And at some point they run out of energy and they run out of oxygen. And they're like, you know what? Actually, this isn't for me and I'm done. You know, so I definitely think that the, the approach to leadership that resonates to a woman, the peace of work that is being built is one that would help guide women, people to really understand that leadership exists in every bin. And literally, this is how you can nurture it. This is how you can live into it. This is how you can tap into it. Um, and, and so I think that is what the expedition really has done for, for, for me. And I'm just hoping, you know, that many women get a chance. And I can't wait for this, you know, the whole piece to come together. I have a chance to have been part of it. It's like listening to the relatable experiences, listening to how storytelling was used to, to sort of like, you know, describe, illustrate leadership the metaphor, the art, the music, like the different possible channels to understand how to approach leadership or to understand the approach to leadership 
yeah, hang on, yeah, Slawi. Yeah, Are you yeah. saying you never went on any leadership courses at all during your career? So I went to, let me think about some of the, so if there was anything actually, um, um, Julia, I might have attended like a few programs, right? But then it's like these things would tell you things like, this is what you need to do. Like it's, it was very prescriptive. Like, you know, you need to be, when it comes to like dealing with people or managing people, like you need to, being, being a leader, you need to be firm. You need to be this. You need to have all these different rules. Like you need to, like, it was all these different things around what to do um, in, in, in building, um, you know, relationships with external stakeholders. Like, you know, this has to happen. Like you need, it just didn't feel like something that I could do because it would look like I was just pretending or acting. So I did attend like a few, I did get some coaching sessions, you know, and, and, and to be honest, like the reason why, I mean, I, I, I stopped doing that also was because it just didn't feel like it was meeting my needs, but something about how like the work that, you know, we're coming up with feels different is how, it's using different channels. Like it's using different ways to illustrate what lead, like what leadership is. It's bringing in, you know, like the use of art, creativity to sort of like, you know, unravel like this mystery of leadership and what it is in a way that even if you're in a village in Sokoto in Nigeria or in Ponu or anywhere in the world, you know, whether you're in a corporate, you know, institution or whether you're in a temple or whatever it is, it's something you, there's something relatable to how we are sort of like putting this work out there, Julia. And what it then makes me think about is if I had an opportunity and a chance to have experienced anything like this or to have a book or to watch a film or to hear a story where leadership was being sort of like introduced to me, where I was being sort of like, you know, invited into leadership through any of those manners, I will be more confident about the chance and I'll be more excited about the opportunity to go into leadership. I would say that, you know what, if this is what leadership is, count me in and I'm gay. If I had a stint of that kind of experience opportunity, Julia. So you would have taken the blindfold off. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Falawi. The blindfold analogy is going to stick with me big time. So I promise now that we will stop talking about Bellagio. There is nothing more irritating, to be honest, I think, (laughs) than hearing all the stories about a party that you weren't at. (laughs) So please forgive me these two episodes, and I promise next week to move on. But I did just want to make, you know, mark this transition. One of the things I've been thinking about is why was the atmosphere so magical at Bellagio? I think that in itself has made me think a lot about leadership. You know, you could say that uh, this was the end of a Zoomed journey for over a year. We had been 24 women who'd, who'd talked to each other very, very regularly over 12 months. So maybe it was always going to be spectacular. Then again, 
could have produced the opposite, I suppose, a clash or even just a sort of rather miserable disappointment. But it didn't produce either of that. It produced the most glorious, I can't find the word, sense of completeness and joy and fulfilment, as well as working hard on a task. So where did all of that come from? I don't know. Do you know, some people have said about the podcast that I should introduce the speakers on the podcast and say what they do. And I just don't want to do that. And the truth is, we didn't do that on the expedition either. We didn't spend ages telling each other what our job titles were. We sort of legitimised each other's presence on the expedition by the quality of what we said rather than the swankiness of our business cards. I do think that there is a value in in not making the introductions to people all about what their job title is. And I think that has been a bit of a secret discovered through the expedition. I think going back, I think that some of the joy came from right from the start because we had chosen 24 women who hadn't already made their minds up and were curious and interested and wanted to find the solutions. They wanted to be challenged. They wanted to hear different voices. That produced a particular atmosphere and culture on the expedition. I think the other thing that's worth saying is that all 24 women, one of the conditions of being on the expedition is that they spoke more than one language. And I do think that that means that people's brains are wired up differently. They're more tolerant of each other's struggles to express themselves. They're more aware of the nuance and the the wickedness of language in expressing things. And I think that has been a very important part of us coming together. The truth is that, yes, it was me who who chose the 24 women ultimately. I would argue a few chose themselves, but yes, it was me. And I suppose, you know, there's one thing, I can cope with almost everything in life except pomposity. And pomposity is something that terrifies me. In French, it's pompeux. It's an even worse word. And I suspect that none of the women who were on the expedition were pompous. Right through the few days that we were together, you know, the real world was out there and we were sharing it. One woman got a pretty bad diagnosis on her mother's health. Other women had huge challenges sort of organising and reorganising childcare. There wasn't an ignoring of what was going on. To be honest, I, I had quite a lot of tough family issues during the few days and and lent on other members of the expedition enormously to help me through the the grim moments that weren't about what we were doing at Bellagio. They were about what was happening hundreds of miles away that I couldn't have much impact on. But, um, you know, we, 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 we were cut off from the, world, from the world, but not cut off from the world and helping each other as we progressed. What else? 
had an enormous impact. Actually, I think one of them was that before we got to Bellagio, we had a couple of days where everybody was sort of gathering, flying in and gathering and arriving at lots of different times. And that was that was very important. I think if you all sort of hit each other, a big group sort of wham hits each other, I think that can that can produce a sort of I don't know some sort of shock of <laughs> sort of backing off. The fact that we all sort of arrived slowly and 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 sort of settled in slowly, that felt very important. And during that period we were cooking for each other. That that was absolutely crucial. And there were some people who were really beautiful cooks and it was a joy um following their instructions and clearing up and laying the table and and all playing our parts. So we gathered together slowly. What else from this sort of ramble? Oh, wait a minute. It's very important to say Bellagio is, of course, an utterly beautiful place. It's on Lake Como. It's a most beautiful palace. It's where the Alps meet the lake. It was stunning weather, weather being, you know, I'm British, weather matters a lot, but it matters to all of us. The sun was out, the sun was shining on us and the sun, the sun sent us warmth and energy and that was terribly important, but the place was utterly beautiful. I think we then, we definitely were very clever at having lots of different ways to communicate with each other. Some extraordinary people danced. Some extraordinary people did skits. I can't think of another word from it. Some extraordinary people played violins and pianos. There were some wonderful storytellers. All the way through, there was a real sense of... um, the beauty of expressing yourself in lots of different ways that suited lots of different people. And and particularly also, I suppose, suited lots of different generations. We were a real mixture of generations. The youngest person on the expedition is 24, probably actually 25 by now, but 24. And the oldest person on the expedition was me at um, 64. In fact, there's a funny story on that one. I think the Apart from cooking with each other, we also shopped together. We went and brought the latest ingredients from the local supermarket um, in the days before we got to actual Bellagio. And then there was this wonderful sort of potions and lotions, beautiful shop just next to where we were staying with a lady called Francesca who ran it. And everybody was endlessly going in there and buying the latest potion or lotion or teas or salts, or all kinds of different things. I wandered in there with some others on a particular day, and it was wonderful because somebody said to Francesca, what What should we buy for Julia? <laughs> Francesca turned to me and said, we have a very good anti-aging cream. <laughs> then the look of horror came across her face, and <laughs> the hysterics from me. Everybody looked very uncomfortable. I thought it was terribly funny. But it was weird being the oldest person in a group. I, I've never experienced that before. And with that, of course, comes moments, I hope, of wisdom, but also moments of 
feeling irrelevant or past or actually quite frightened. So, so that was very interesting. The mixture of ages hugely helped us. There was, there was no difference in wisdom across the ages. Every age had huge wisdom. There were some pretty tough moments when we got into real disagreements, which I am absolutely sure was part of the magic and the dynamic, even though they feel, even with hindsight, pretty tough. And the last one I would add again is that we didn't have a tight plan. There weren't milestones and KPIs. We knew where we wanted to get to. One of the members of the expedition has written a lovely poem about all the different people. And um, she says to me that she remembers my focus. <laughs> I was definitely focused all the time that we had to achieve what we had come together to achieve, as well as enjoy being together and learn from each other. We had to produce an approach to leadership that resonates with women. So I was pretty focused, but not through milestones and a big plan. I know that caused a lot of difficulty for some women who would much prefer something tighter, but I would still say that the lack of a tight plan was part of the magic. Anyhow, Bellagio was dramatic. It produced a dramatic end to the expedition. It produced a really powerful transition to this next phase, this next set of 50 episodes of this podcast that will be about what this approach is, so that all of you can say, if that's leadership, I'm in. And it's worth remembering Falawi's words, isn't it? She said that if, we ha- if she had had this approach, she would have been less afraid, more confident, and found life much, much easier. And, and actually, she used those words too, didn't she? I would have been able to challenge my energy into other areas if I had had this approach. She said this while her hands were playing with a piece of Play-Doh. Um, because at Bellagio we all had Play-Doh on our tables and made beautiful Play-Doh. It was lovely seeing Falawe had still got her piece of Play-Doh that she was playing with with her hands. Anyhow, transition over. I won't carry on talking about a party that not everybody was at. Next week we start the serious business of the next episodes where we share the insights. Lots of love. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.